Hey, before we go into today's message, I'd like to give us a, a, a teeny bit of a pep talk, if you will. I don't know how you're coming into this spring semester. Now, I realize for some of us, spring semester can be a, a little bit of a challenge. You're coming off a break, and in fact, I, I was talking with several of you before the service started, and some of you said that it, it's, always, it's always a little hard, the stop and go of break and then jumping back into a new semester. It's, it's a little bit hard, and I realize for some of us, it, it's hard to get back into the swing of things, particularly with the colder weather and the darker days. I mean, it, it's, it's hard. This is The sunny skies is unusual for winter in Happy Valley, but maybe for you, uh, you, you have a hard time getting motivated during, during the spring semester. But can I encourage us here, as we embark on a new semester, can I encourage us to choose into community this semester? Now, I don't know what your community context looks like. There are some of you who are plugged into different campus ministries on campus. Some of you call ACF your home campus. But whatever your community looks like, I want to encourage you to choose into community. When, when your bed covers call your name, I, I want you to choose into community. When you hear the lack of motivation and, and, and laziness calling your name, I want you to choose into community. And maybe for you, that's joining a life group for the very first time. Maybe for you, it's joining a, a Bible study or a small group on campus. But choose into community. Uh, additionally, can I encourage us to choose to worship corporately within the body? I want, I, want to, I want to turn our attention to, to what the author of Hebrews says. In Hebrews chapter 10, the author says, Do not neglect meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Now, I, I don't know if, it, what the cause for some people not choosing in to corporate worship was during that time. But whatever your reason might be this semester, can I encourage you to choose in to worshiping corporately. Choose into being here, worshiping together within the body of Christ together. And if we can commit to that, boy, would I love that. I would love it if we can come alongside each other and be an encouragement to each other in that way and push each other towards Christ. Can we, can we commit to that, ACF? If, we, if you can say, yes, I'm on board, I can commit to that. Can, can I hear an amen from you here this morning? Amen. Can, I, I would love it if we can lean into that, lean into community here this spring semester. Uh, and if we can do that, I think we'll be well off on the way. And so in that vein of encouragement... I hope that this next sermon series that we're starting here today would serve as a source of encouragement to you. We're starting a new sermon series here today called Big Faith. Big Faith. Say it with me now. Big Faith. This sermon series is a sermon, uh, a series on big faith. We're going to be carrying it into the, the spring, uh, um, spring break, which is going to be a seven-part series. And during the course of this seven, next seven weeks, we're going to be looking at a, a um, uh, kind of anchoring our time in what the Bible calls the Hall of Faith, as laid out in Hebrews chapter 11. And each week uh, leading up to, this, uh, up to spring break, we're going to be looking at an Old Testament character that is uh, indicated in the Hall of Faith. And we're going to be pulling some faith principles, looking at these Old Testament characters who exercised and exhibited extraordinary, massive, enormous faith. Now, I don't know the size of your faith here this morning, but I hope by the end of our time, at the end of this seven weeks, we would be walking away with bigger faith, with the kind of faith that amazes God, with the kind of faith that amazes Jesus. And so today, um, I'm not going to look at any particular character within, uh, within the Old Testament here today, 
what I want to do with our time is I want to set the stage for you for the, for the next several weeks that are coming up. I want to set the stage for you. In fact, uh, just fair warning, this message isn't going to be your normal sermon. Uh, in fact, we're not going to have a passage of Scripture that we're going to be opening up and digging into as we normally might. In fact, this morning, I want to call us to dream a little. And so all you dreamers, this is your Sunday, okay? Yeah, I want you to dream a little with me. If you're not a dreamer, uh, you're going to have to stretch your dreaming muscles just a little bit. I want you to dream with me alongside the Holy Spirit of God. Use your divine imagination, your divine inspired imagination to dream with me about what a church set on fire for the cause of Christ, what a church with big faith might look like. And so today, I want to vision cast a little bit. And, and to begin to do that, I want to tell you why we're doing this series in the first place. Just so you know, I don't preach sermon series just because. I don't sit around in my office and I'm like, man, what's the trendiest thing that I could talk about or the fad that I can jump on? That's not how I craft sermon series. I craft sermon series based on where I feel that we are as a church and where I feel that God is leading us into the next journey, into the next level collectively as a church. And so I, I want to give you a little bit of context. About a year ago, the Lord put it on my heart to preach on the subject of big faith. Now, moment of confession. I am not normally a person with big faith. If, if, if you were to sit me down and get to know me, the, the thing that you would walk away with would not be, boy, Dan Min has big, gigantic, enormous faith. In fact, I'm, I'm quite cynical and skeptical, and, and the faith is not something that would be described of me. But I, I will say this, there have been times when I've sat across the table from someone and, and, and someone who has big faith, someone who has perhaps even the gift of faith. And I don't know if you've ever sat across the table from someone like this, but, but I, it, it's almost like these people have stupid faith. Like they believe in God for like the impossible. They're, they believe in God. They're so confident in God that it makes my faith look so itty bitty small. And, and I don't know what kind of faith category you would place yourself in. But I hope that as we talk about this, God might expand your faith. And so the Lord came to me and he said, Dan, I, I want you to preach on the subject of big faith. And I, I said to the Lord, surely you can find some other church, some other pastor to talk about big faith because I, I, don't, I don't got big faith. But nonetheless, he kept pressing this, this notion on me. I want you to talk about big faith. And it was at a point in time when I was starting to dream about our campus and to dream about what God would have for us here in this local body called ACF. And I, and, and I was dreaming about all these things uh, about revival and what revival might look like on a campus like Penn State. And it was at that specific moment that the Lord gave me the specific thought. And it's a thought that I've shared at various points here at ACF. And, and he said, Dan, I want ACF to be a church that reaches up and reaches out. I want ACF to be a church that reaches up and reaches out. Now, I realize there are some of us here that, that don't call ACF you know, like our, our home base, but, but in a lot of ways, you can say that this is the call of a follower of Jesus to reach up and to reach out. In fact, this 
concept, this notion is woven right into our vision statement. And our vision statement, if you don't know this, it reads as such. ACF exists to build God's kingdom here through a growing relationship with Christ. Reach up and reach out. In other words, we are here, ACF exists, this little ragtag group of college students, this church exists to expand God's reach here on the campus of Penn State to all those who are in need of Christ, which by the way is all 40,000 plus students. It's every one of us. Every one of us, even those who have professed faith in Christ, we acknowledge our need for Jesus. We are here called to reach out, to build God's kingdom here. But we are also here to grow in our relationship with Christ. Now, I don't know if you've come in here today saying, man, I have a real desire to grow in my relationship with Christ. But here in our very DNA, what we are about here at ACF is growing in our faith walk with Christ. And that is reaching up, reaching up. And I want you to see that the two are inseparable. You cannot divorce one from the other. As we reach up, we begin to reach out. And as we reach out, we continue to reach up. Now, when the Lord started to talk to me about this, I began to immediately dream about what a church would look like that would take this call of God seriously to be a church that reaches up and that reaches out. And immediately, I began to think of all of you. I, in fact, I began to think about specific faces and names within our church family. I began to see certain faces, and, and some of your names I don't know, but I know you by your face. Uh, you know, that, that's, that's, that's the beautiful-looking man over there. You know, that's the, you know, that, that's the, so I, I know, I, I began to, the Lord began to show me pictures of your face. And I began to dream about a church full of college students who would intensely, persistently, relentlessly reach up for heaven's reality. Folks, I want you to know what you did this morning, what you took part in, was the act of reaching up. We weren't just singing songs to the screen, or we weren't just singing along with the worship team. We as a church were reaching up for heaven's reality. I began to think about what a church might look like who reaches up, and I think about a people who are not in the least bit satisfied with the status quo of American Christianity. And you know what American Christianity is? It boils down to simply attending a church service, giving some money during the offering time, maybe joining a small group, and maybe even volunteering your time and your energies in the service and volunteering in some kind of way or some capacity. That's the status quo of American Christianity. But I began to think about what a church might look like who really reaches up for heaven's reality. And I immediately began to think about a people who are hungry and desperate for a brand new, fresh move of God like never seen before. I began to dream about a church that would meet in a place like this and the meeting place would begin to shake like the early church experienced. And let me tell you, the early church experienced the shaking of the meeting place, not because the music was too loud, but because the presence of God was powerfully resting on that place. I began to wonder what it would look like for Alumni Hall to be shaken by the presence of God. I began to wonder what the hub might look like if we were to be shaken by the presence of God. I began to wonder what the campus of Penn State might look like if we began to be shaken by the power of God. 
And I want you to see that the, the early church, when they gathered, and, the, and you can read it in the account in the book of Acts, the place shook. The reason why it shook was not only because the presence of God was manifested in that place, it was because there was a people collectively reaching up for heaven's reality as if they were gasping for air. As if they were so hungry for the move of God like there was nothing else to seek but a fresh move of God. They were desperate. They were hungry. I imagine, I imagine if there was a contemporary song that the, that the, that the New Testament would sing, the New Testament church would sing in that collective place. I imagine they would sing a song that goes something like this. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you, my one defense, my righteousness, oh God, how I need you. Church, that at its essence, at its core, is what it means to reach up. To come before your heavenly father, to come before your God in heaven, the maker of all of heaven and earth, the God, the, the, the God who has put breath in your lungs, to come before this God and say, God, oh, how we need you. Every hour I need you. You're my one defense. You're my righteousness. Without you, I got nothing. Without you, I am nothing. God, how I need you. In fact, church, can we just sing that chorus just one time? Collectively, as a church, I'd love for us to just reach up and say, God, God, we need you. Without you, this whole thing fails and crumbles. We are going to reach up for heaven. In fact, can we, can we lift our voices and sing that together? Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you, my one defense, my righteousness, oh God, how I need you. You're my one defense, my righteousness, oh God, how I need you. Like my lungs need air, God, I need you. Like the desert needs the water, God, I need you. Like the deer pants for water, my soul longs for you. May we be a church that reaches up, reaches up to bring heaven down here. Now, how many of you know it's not enough for a church to just reach up. Because all, if all you do is look up, you're bound to bang into some things. You're bound to knock into some things and knock some things over and trip up and fall. You see, we as a church, as the people of God, are not just called to look up, but also to look out in order to reach out. And so then I began to dream. I began to dream about what a church that would reach out might look like. And in fact, I want you to dream with me here just for a moment as, 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 you, as we think about this notion of big faith. I started wondering what a mighty, miraculous move of God might look like on a campus like ours. Think about this for a moment. I, I want to walk you through just a quick, brief faith exercise here with me. 
If I were to ask you to look around our campus, for some of you, you're getting through your very first semester here. And so we're going to give you a little bit of a curve. But for those of you who've been here for a little while, I want you to think about our campus and look around our campus and ask yourself the question, what would a crazy move of God look like on a campus like ours? What would that look like? In fact, to put it differently, what would you deem as utterly impossible or highly unlikely, but you think to yourself, boy, if God did that, wouldn't that be amazing? If you, if you say to yourself, you look around our campus, what, what are you saying? Man, I don't think God could do that. I mean, theoretically, I know God can do whatever he wants, but really, that just seems highly unlikely. Now, I realize for, for, for some of us, as we think about our campus, it's like 40,000 plus deep, and it's like, I can't even begin to think about it on that scale. I want you to get real specific. In fact, I'm going to ask all of us to get real specific here. I want you to think about specific people in your life, in your immediate circle, that you regularly come into contact with. Because how many of you know those are the people that God is calling you to reach out to? Before you reach the masses... God is looking to, for you to reach the person that's right in front of you. And so I want you to think about specific people in your life in light of this question, what would a miraculous move of God look like for this person in my life? Maybe for you, when you think about an impossible, miraculous move of God, your atheist friend comes to mind. You know, it's that friend that you are, are friends with and friendly with, but this friend is a friend who has stood in opposition to everything you stand for as a follower of Jesus. And no matter how many times you try to lead them to Christ, no matter how many times you try to show the light of Christ and the love of Christ to this friend, it is met with a dead-end wall. Maybe for you, what comes to mind when you think about a miraculous move of God would be seeing this friend bowing their knee to the lordship of Jesus. Maybe for you, the impossible, unlikely, but amazing, could be amazing move of God would be seeing this friend break down his or her wall and give their life over to Jesus and to say, God, I'm going to follow you. I've stood in opposition to you, but God, I am surrendering myself to you. Maybe for you, that's a miraculous move of God. Maybe for you, the miraculous move of God is the, the friend that comes to mind is the friend who is caught in this cycle of the trifecta of darkness, depression, anxiety, and suicidal thoughts. Maybe the friend that comes to mind is this friend who is stuck in this cycle, and this, they're, they're constantly caught in this, in this mess of depression, anxiety, and suicidal thoughts, and no matter how much you want them to snap out of it, they are stuck. They can't get out of it. And so maybe for you, the miraculous move of God, the impossible move of God for you would be seeing this friend discover the joy of the Lord that would serve as their strength. Maybe for you it's seeing this friend who would come to encounter the peace of God that transcends all understanding that would guard their hearts all the days of their life. Maybe for you the miraculous move of God would be seeing this friend find the abundant life in Christ that Jesus talks about in John chapter 10.10. 10. Jesus says the enemy comes to steal, he comes to kill, he comes to destroy, he comes to plant thoughts of taking your own life into the soil of your life. And, and, and Jesus goes on and he says, that's what the enemy does. I have come that you may have life and life to the abundant. 
Maybe for you, the miraculous move of God would be seeing this friend find that abundant life in Christ. Still yet, maybe for you, it's that friend who finds their sense of self-worth, validation, and identity in the party scene here on campus. Maybe it's that friend who constantly finds their sense of self-worth and validation in the next sexual encounter. Maybe this relationship will do it for me. Maybe this party will, 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 will affirm that I am truly embraced and I'm accepted. Maybe for you, the miraculous move of God will be seeing this friend come to the foot of the cross and say, the issue of my self-worth and value has been settled on the cross once and for all. Because of what Jesus has done for me, I don't have to go searching for my identity or my self-worth or my value. The issue of my value, the issue of my self-worth is settled on the cross. Maybe for you, the miraculous move of God is seeing a friend come to that place. I don't know what your miraculous move of God looks like. I don't know where you say to yourself, Man, that seems like an impossible, highly unlikely situation, but boy, wouldn't it be cool if God did that? See, here's the thing, folks. The reason why I share all of this this morning, the reason why I want us to dream with the Holy Spirit of God, with what God might have for us when it comes to being a church that reaches up being a church that reaches out and fulfilling the mission of God here on the campus of Penn State. The reason why I'm going into all of this is because this requires, in order to see any of this, even a glimpse of this, an ounce of this, this requires a key element that is a kingdom non-negotiable. And that kingdom non-negotiable key element is what the Bible calls faith. Without faith, we got nothing. Without faith, we got a little catchy slogan that says, church, reach up and reach out. That's all we got. We got an impotent church. We got a powerless church. We got a missionless, purposeless church. But with faith, with faith in the equation, we can actually accomplish what God would have us. We cannot actually reach up and reach out the way God would have us. It's impossible to get where God wants us to be without big faith. In fact, throughout the Gospels, what you see Jesus often saying, if you read the Gospels any length of time, you see him saying these words often to his disciples, Oh, you of little faith. Oh, you of little faith. Just in the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 6, when the disciples are worrying about what they're going to eat, wear, or drink, Jesus addresses them as people of little faith. Later on in chapter 8, a storm comes upon the disciples. If you remember, Jesus is sleeping in the boat in the midst of this massive storm, and, and all the disciples are freaking out. And in their moment of panic, Jesus turns to them and says, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Later on in, in chapter 14, when Peter walks out on water, he begins to immediately sink. And Jesus reaches out his hand to, G, uh, to, to Peter, and he reach, pulls him out of the water, and he says, Why did you doubt, Peter? Oh, you of little faith. Then again, in chapter 16, the disciples are worrying again about what they're going to eat. And they, Jesus says to them, why are you distracted by all of these things? Oh, you of little faith. 
And then finally, in Matthew chapter 17, the disciples are wondering why they couldn't perform the same miracles that Jesus was performing. Jesus was casting out these demons and healing the sick and opening the blind eyes. And and the disciples weren't experiencing the same thing. And what, what does Jesus say? It's because of your little faith. Friends, the kind of faith we are to exhibit as the people of God is to be reflective of the size of our God. The kind of faith that you and I are called to exhibit is the kind of faith that is reflective of the size of our God. Big faith. We are not called to exhibit a small, itty-bitty, little faith, but a big, mountain-moving, earth-shaking, bringing heaven down here, reaching up and reaching out kind of faith. A big faith. Even in those circumstances that seem highly unlikely or even impossible, Church, I would love it if we can come to a place at some point during these next several weeks, if we can come to a place and say, that might seem unlikely, but I'm confident God can do it. I got faith that God's got this in the bag. After all, God's done some crazier things before. If he can part the Red Seas, if he can cause the walls of Jericho to fall, if he can raise the dead, if he can open blind eyes, if he can turn a 180 degree from a Saul to a Paul, if he can turn my life around, I got enough faith to believe God can do the impossible. Church, I hope, I hope that at some point in the next several weeks as we journey into this, into this subject of big faith, I hope that for those of us, let me, let me even rewind a little bit further back, For those of us who have no faith at all, for those of you who have come in here and you you, you have not bowed your knee to the lordship of Jesus at all, you have not given your life to Christ, I hope maybe even today you might consider giving your life to Christ. Maybe your, your big, miraculous, impossible move of God would be your first step in stepping in faith and saying, God, I give my life to you. For those of you who grew up in church, but you just checked the box, went to church, gave in the offering, joined a small group, volunteered my time. I hope that you would catch the vision of becoming a people, of a community that would reach up for heaven and to reach out with the mission of Christ. I hope that at some point throughout the course of this series, we might understand what it means to become a people of big faith. As we look through Hebrews chapter 11 and the different characters within the Old Testament, we're going to look at how God shows up in big ways when people exercise big faith. Church, I began this this morning with this little pep talk of saying, hey, this spring semester, let's, let's lean into community. Let's lean into what God has for us. Let's make it the best. As I was worshiping this morning, I began to think about, for some of us, our walk with Christ has grown a little stale. And I don't know if, if this is a fair statement, but, but for some of us, we just kind of were hoping that we might experience something new because it's just we're, we're kind of caught in a rut. We're stuck in a rut. And spring semester doesn't help. It certainly doesn't help, which is part of the reason why I said, hey, let's lean into each other. Let's encourage each other. But folks, perhaps the answer to the rut that you're in, to the, to the, to the kind of stale walk that you've been experiencing, 
is an issue of faith. Maybe the prayer that you need to pray this morning would be, God, increase my faith. Give me faith. Give me faith. Give me faith to believe that you're going to do something new and fresh in my life. And even if you don't, God, keep giving me faith. Give me faith until my last dying breath. I want to die and I want to go to the grave with my faith being increased.